0: All right. So welcome back to the show, everybody. Welcome back to Speaking to Stacey. And I've got a brand new guest on the show today and someone I'm awfully, awfully excited to talk to. As is the customer of my show, I'll have my guests introduce themselves. And um, that way you can learn a bit about him today and yeah you can shoot ryan
1: how's it guys um yeah my name's ryan pike i'm a more affectionately known by my mates in cape town as choppy uh, that came from my mom because i was quite a chubby child and uh, she called me her little lamb chop and then uh, i was quite stoked when i hit grade 11 in my growth spurt and i became a skinny sort of awkward twig but um yeah i'm from cape town originally i've done a little bit of uh, stuff here and there studied at stellenbosch um and yeah lately just got off the yachts and came back to Cape Town uh, to try and sort of do a bit of charity work, if you want to call it that. Well, a fair amount, actually, <laughs> considering the distances that I'm supposed to be doing.
0: Okay, awesome, man. Thank you. Quickly, before we jump into the meat of the of the talk, I just was interested in finding out from you, how long were you on the yachts?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I was on the yachts for about a year and a half. Uh, kind of a split between Mediterranean, Caribbean, yeah, kind of evenly. That was always an itch that I wanted to scratch straight out of Varsity. I mean, I had a lot of my mates who finished school and went straight in the arts. Obviously, 2020 was a big l- lockdown year for everyone. And I kind of, prior to that, I'd run a tourism company as well. So I think I got very itchy feet in terms of taking people around Cape Town, showing them the beautiful city, and then obviously hearing where they're from and their experiences. And I kind of, yeah, started wanting to have those kind of experiences for myself. And then, twenty yeah, middle of 2020, I got involved in an office job like thoroughly enjoyed it but then when 2021 came around and things started easing up you know it was just it was my time to jet so <laughs> had to get out of there um and yeah thoroughly enjoyed my time overseas really really loved it would be something that i would go back to the thing about yachting is that it's just it's not exactly difficult work in terms of mentality it's kind of just hard yards on the body They're like labor and the nice thing about that is that you can Switch off completely when you're not on the job. You know what I mean. It's not like you know if you're running your own business. Like when I was running the tourism company, you're kind of on the clock twenty four seven, even though you're not. You don't think you are, but when you're not working and stuff, you're always kind of constantly thinking: How can I update the business? How can you know I make this better? How can I make that better? So you, your brain never really switches off. So that was the nice thing about yachting was that it was com- it was just mind numbing. So <laughs> so you get off you have the ship and you can sleep like a baby. It's so lekker.
0: Okay, awesome. What are the working hours like? Because I've heard it can be quite hectic at times. Are you working, are you working like 12-hour days or is it, does it get more intense than that?
1: Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, the boat that I was on was a bit more hectic than that. So we had, it was an 11-week bus trip. Uh, so the boss was on for the entire 11 weeks straight and he didn't like to go into port. So we stayed at anchor the entire time. Uh, we had three deckhands on board and usual shift would be, well, your working day would be 15 hours. And so we would have two uh, deckhands on shift during the day and then one deckhand on night. So a usual day if you're on on night shift would be you get on deck at four in the afternoon, work from four until ten, then you have your two-hour break from ten to twelve, and then you work from twelve to eight the next day.
0: Okay, wow.
1: Uh, You're working hard yards. I mean, it's like I said, it's not exactly the most intensive mind – numbing to- I mean sorry it is my numbing toss it's not really stimulating yeah exactly yeah, there we go thank you very much Dana. okay uh yeah so it's like literally polishing stainless steel and scrubbing teak okay. the whole time okay um but that's what night shifts were quite nice for because obviously there were no guests up at that time they were all you know kipping and stuff from the day's activities so you can like if you're cheeky you put like one headbutt under, listen to a couple podcasts and educate yourself there and kind of stimulate yourself like that which was quite nice
0: okay nice yeah I've always heard from people I've known a lot of guys and girls that have gone on the boats and I just heard that, yeah, you know, the one, the one downside or the one thing that a lot of people find a bit difficult is that constant like work and the type of work just getting really monotonous and boring and kind of trying to fill your time with, with something that can be stimulating for the brain. Because you know, I guess that's how I felt sometimes when I was working my first job in corporate, I was working customer services and I was like answer, no. answering calls, doing emails and it was rough because we're dealing with overseas uh, customers at like an online gambling site. So people are like pissed off all the time and losing their shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, but it, again, like it, it wasn't difficult work. It was kind of, it was every day was almost the same, just speaking to different people. And I just found it very difficult to get stimulated. And, I'm, and I think the yachting experience is probably even worse because you, you're not even dealing with different people. You're dealing with tasks, which are all the same.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's the same people on the boat the entire time. Like we had, there were 16 people on the boat that I was on, or 16 crew at least. Uh, The guests rotated between five and six people the entire time. But yeah, like you said, it it just doesn't feel like, well, I mean, there wasn't any time for myself. Like um, I kind of enjoy getting up in the morning, doing a bit of journaling, you know, having like maybe a 10, 15 minute meditation kind of you know getting ahead of the day like you know have, just making that time for yourself and then you just have none of that while you're on the yacht like it's crazy i've got this 11 week gap in my journal Jeez. for when i was like on boss trip where you just you have you don't even have like sort of two minutes to spare
0: well at least you can just maybe write in that 11 page gap that you uh, <laughs> that you just did the same thing every day <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly just times by 11
0: weeks. <laughs> uh, 11 weeks sorry 11 week gap not 11 day in that kind of situation, it sounds like a smaller yacht, right? Is that a private yacht that is, is, it guests that are coming on? Are they clients? Are they customers of the owner? Are they mates of the owner? Like w- why is it so small? If that makes sense.
1: No, hundred percent. Yeah. So we, we were privately owned quote unquote. You get obviously charter boats and you get privately owned. Um, so we were a private owned vessel. So the boss and his family would come on most of the time. And then, uh In order for a yacht to be classified as a yacht so they can only have a maximum of twelve guests at a time, so we would have up to twelve guests at a time, and then they would rotate like their friends or their children's friends or whatever they would come on um uh, It was a sixty three meter yacht and but she was quite she was quite hefty for a size like a normal sixty three meter would be roughly around eleven hundred gross tons and the yacht that I was working on was about fifteen hundred gross tons, so she was a lot thicker and there was a lot more like space and and wear to her, which was quite nice. Uh, that obviously translated into bigger cabin sizes and and, you know you can store more toys and stuff so it was it was fun Um, but yeah I think most people when they get on the yachts they try and chase the charter experience where obviously charter would be like a week at a time where people just hire the boat and then at the end of the week if you've obviously put in enough effort and smiled enough and been pretty enough and you know you know been showy enough if you want to call it that then the guests usually end up giving you a tip at the end of the charter and then that's obviously where people go into the arts to chase the money they go for charter whereas i think private is more for longevity and stuff and i i personally feel that like most deckhands which was the position that i was in most deckhands and like junior staff would want to start on a charter and like build up and make money and then once they move into like officer or captain role then they'll step onto a private because it, private's a lot more it's usually more relaxed than the charter because is very busy very go very like you know everything has to be 110 percent beautiful the entire time whereas private you can kind of get away with more i mean obviously you know the young life is very the standards are very high no matter where you are so you know like quality of work and stuff like that is super important but yeah like private you can kind of get away with it because you obviously know the gear um and you build a relationship with them over the years that you work with them so that's what I found with all the senior staff on the boat that I was working on. They had been there for a while and they had a really good guest. Uh, sorry, a good relationship with the owners. And yeah, like obviously with those relationships comes extra benefits like rotation and stuff and, you know, better, uh, commission structure and all
0: that. Okay. Okay. So it's just a kind of a different approach to the same, to the yeah, same exactly. industry. Exactly. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you see, I didn't know, I didn't know that there was, you know, different ways to do it. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, depending on obviously what you're looking for yeah all right cool thanks man that's (laughs) that's interesting just got got (laughs) to scratch my my curiosity there (laughs) awesome so how about we jump into talking a little bit about why you're on the podcast and you can share with me and obviously the audience as well a bit about your background with running or endurance kind of events and what you're kind of setting yourself up for and, and what's coming in the future Yeah,
1: for sure. I think uh, with regards to endurance events, up until 2020, my main (laughs) endurance events that I had to endure were my (laughs) Um, (laughs) ex-girlfriends. Yeah, that was a a bit of a dizzy. But like, for example, at university and stuff, I mean, obviously, I enjoyed working out and kind of staying fit. That wasn't really a part of my life at school. Like, I was kind of a clumsy, you know, human being. And then, advice, you kind of, you know, you start growing into your own and and understanding what you want to do so then sort of study breaks and stuff like that i like go for a run in the mountain nothing too hectic it would be like maybe a five or six k uh but you know just enough to obviously get the blood flowing and you know get the the cobwebs of sitting down and studying out the the legs and the mind and then yeah 20 it would have been yeah 2020 we had locked down and then end of 2020 i went through a pretty brutal breakup i think Yeah, the one that like hurt me the most because I just by the time we'd broken up I just saw how far removed from myself I normally was in order to try and you know I just kept like slipping boundaries slipping boundaries being like no it's fine it's fine it's fine and then by the time we actually (laughs) realized it wasn't sustainable you know so just not myself that I think I needed a big challenge to kind of prove my worth back to myself and also all this energy that I like I put into the relationship that was all of a sudden when that person wasn't there there's like you know this well of Like I said, just there was so much of me that I needed to put into something that, you know, I was kind of, and I wanted to like, I'd always heard like phrases of like putting that energy back into yourself, but I didn't know what that looked like. Okay, And so, yeah, then obviously running came along and my mates had done 13 peaks, like two or three months prior to that. And I saw that as a massive, you know, that was a massive event. And I was like, oh, sick, you know, maybe this is something that I can kind of put my energy into. And I remember originally thinking not, well, not, sorry, not thinking that, you know, this is going to be my channel. It was just kind of something that almost if you wanted to call like fell into my path. And I was like, Cool, let me just give this a run. For <laughs> lack of a better word. Like let me just give this a go for a little bit. And yeah, and then obviously ended up running with a friend who was working he was he was running with the running club that I'm with now called Mindset Movements in Cape Town. The guy I started is a guy called Carl Evans, who has the gnarliest backstory I ever <laughs> had. He was he was a drug addict for 14 years and like lived on the street for six months, and then kind of you know obviously was able to bring himself out of it and then started working in a boxing gym and like sleeping in the boxing gym and you know building up and up and up and then eventually moved to Dubai, did a bit of personal training in Dubai and then he was always about like sprinting or heavy lifting or like bodybuilder type of he'd like he'd done all of that he had never really done ultra running or even running any distance more than like 100 meters at a time um and then i remember him telling me a story when he was in dubai he saw a buzz hotel he saw a chick running every morning at like four in the morning he was he absolutely hates running but he was like cool this is something that like (laughs) i need to do so he got into running and, like, he would try and, like, pace himself with her. And, like, the first day he said he made, he maybe made it, like, 200 meters and he, like, burnt out And then he found a coach that side called Marcus Smith. He's also an absolute weapon. Like, yeah, he's got a um, a documentary on him on YouTube called Fight for Every Breath or something like that where, yeah, he's also just another weapon, entirely, like, entirely. So those two boys linked up. And then Carl's obviously got his mindset. Well, he yeah, he got a bit of his training all that stuff from marcus and like learned a lot from him but Carl's is just like one of those humans who's just all or nothing type of man like he i'm sure i don't know if you know what a threshold test is where you kind of run for 30 minutes as hard as you can for as fast as you can in order to gauge your top heart rate zone or your top line heart rates and then from there you can kind of pace where you're like zone five zone four zone three zone two zone one are um and usually if you hear like as far as, as fast as you can for as long as you can you know you kind of you don't sprint, but you go out super hard because you know you're going to be running for 30 minutes. Uh, but <laughs> I read mean, this Kyle's story when, when Marcus told him to go do a threshold test, he full on sprinted like he was doing 100 meters and he, he t- blew his hamstring at like w- just after a kilometer. So like, <laughs> he's just, you know what I mean? He's just the most headstrong human being I've ever met. And I think a part of that was very alluring to me to meet Carl, because. A, I knew if I was going to be running thirteen peaks, I would have to have a proper program laid out for me and stuff, and actually run. You know, it's so, it's not something you can kind of just go and do. So having a coach was very important to me. Okay, I think also having Carl there because he is so mentally strong, and he does like push you. Just kind of being in his presence and stuff like that, you know, that this i like, has been through a lot. Which was cool for me because like my, like I said, at school growing up and stuff like that, I wasn't really, like I was kind of clumsy and I wasn't really very competitive. I mean, I've got an insane, I've got the best relationship with my dad. I love him so much. And he was kind of, he never really pushed me to do sports or anything like that, like hectically. Like I had a lot of my mates and stuff where their dad was like, you know, not grinding to the boat, but like, you know, go, go, go. Yeah. But it's like, you got to do this, you got to do this. Like I remember I made uh, A&B team uh when i moved to sacks and grade eights so i made a and B team squad for rugby and they were having holiday trial like holiday practice for you know the team and i was gonna go do it then but my dad was like we can either do that or we're we gonna go on holiday type thing families go on holiday so i was like well i'm, I'm going on holiday you know <laughs> like so my dad never pushed me which is like really sick so i really like enjoyed and just had fun in my sport during school so i had like i thoroughly enjoyed it but then that's why I think the allure for Carl was so nice because here was someone who was going to push me, you know what I mean? And like, like that father, like all the male figure in my life that you know I wanted to sort of make proud and almost like prove myself to, you know what I mean? Um, so that was that was very cool. And then, like I said, the other side of it was just knowing that he had been through, he's been through hell, you know? Like Carl's now, he's he's obviously apart from the like drug addiction and stuff like that. Like he's done ultra running, he knows exactly what it feels like. And so that's what allowed me to trust him so much at the start was he would tell me what was going to come up for me when I was doing all these big runs, like in terms of emotion or pain or anything like that. And it would come up, I would be in like, you know, what they call the pain cave. And then he would say, cool, run like another 10Ks and you'll be fine. Or, you know, think of this and you'll be fine. And because he, I know he'd been there and he'd been in those situations and actually experienced it. It was so easy to trust him and be like, okay, cool. I'll follow his lead. Whereas... You know, if I had, for example, someone who had studied sports science for 10 years and has like 30 dissertations, uh, but had never actually stepped foot in the arena, if they had told me the same stuff that Carla told me, even though, you know, they'd studied many people and everything, like I wouldn't really have had that initial trust because I was like, this is someone who hasn't actually stepped in the arena and, and tried it out for himself, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think I feel that crosses over in many different ways. I often wonder about. I'm a big sports fan, so I watch all different kinds of sports. And I often wonder if that is similar in sports coaching. You know, when a coach comes in and you get like the really good manager types, and then you get the guys that were ex players that come in with the experience of playing and their managers. And I often wonder if that, if that also, if the players look at the person and think, well, he's never played. He's never kicked a ball in his life as a professional footballer. Like, what should I? What can I take? What can I really take from him? What does he actually know about the game? Yes, he's read all the books. But he's never, he's never sort of stepped onto the field. And then another thing that reminded me of of David Goggins, of what you said. You said a, c- a few things, but one of the things is he often says that he's gone to meetings with psychologists and psychiatrists and stuff, and they talk about the potential, the possibility of the human mind, and he's like they they don't know what they're talking about because they describe things that I've been through that I've overcome that's where the theory doesn't the theory stops at a certain point because it doesn't study all like the extreme individuals that put themselves into extreme positions so it's very easy to kind of comment from like a theoretical point of view but if you actually go and do something you learn and you have experiences that the books can't really teach you i guess that's life life's a lot about that yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I just find it fascinating that like it, it seems to, to cross over in, in very different spheres.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think just talking about that with the to life and sort of setting extremes, my favorite quote is by Mike Tyson where he says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> that, is, that is the third time that quote has been said on this podcast. Yeah. Um That's a goodie. damn Yeah. I think I've said it once and then Martin Muller, former rugby player, said it and then now you've used it as well. Yeah, but it is, it is such a it's such a good quote because it's so true. I yeah. think oftentimes the quotes that persist in in our culture are those that have that truth factor to them. Otherwise they wouldn't they wouldn't stick around.
1: Yeah. No very good point.
0: All right, cool. That's great to know your background and how you got into it. You got into running as a result of a few things. The the breakup that you went through, kind of wanting to prove to yourself. Um, that you can that do something like this—is that—is am I reading that right?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Without a doubt. Okay.
0: How about we talk a bit about training? Like you—you you mentioned you—you you got a coach, and you said obviously you didn't really have an extensive history in running and and long types of running. So, how does one start training and getting into that kind of thing? Because obviously, the difference between going and running a ten k and training for that and then <laughs> doing something like you're doing, yeah, and maybe you can also share with the with the listeners exactly what it is that you're doing so they can put into perspective just of how like big the, the hurdle is in front of you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. I think I'll start with what I'm training for now. Um, so I'm training, there's a desert ultra there's, well, I mean, David Goggins ran a thing called Badwater 135 in the U S uh, and there was a, there's a guy called Hunter who sort of saw that and realized that we need kind of some of that energy in South Africa we obviously have, uh, from between the Northern Cape and the Western Cape and the Karoo, we have the R30, R355, thirty which is like a dirt road that's just mesmerizing East Rays. And so <clears throat> he organized an event called the Tanker Crossing, which is the race that I'll be running, which is 207 kilometers through the tankwa in the middle of Feb, which is the hottest month of the year. Uh, last year, the temperature, I think, was roughly about, f- it got up to 48 degrees. Um, and they're expecting similar, if not a little bit more this year. Wow. So it's going to be quite spicy, and also the fun thing about this year is that obviously we just had a lot of rain and stuff in the crew, so it actually flooded most of the place. So there's a lot of there'll be mud patches and stuff like that. So it's going to it's going to make the terrain a bit more um, questionable, to say the least. So <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be a very enjoyable race, I must say. Um, and if you're doing the two hundred seven like I am, you have to have a support crew in a vehicle behind you the entire time because there are aid stations every like 30 k's uh but when it's scorching heat and stuff like that 30 kilometers can be quite you know a bit too far yeah i've been very blessed that my girlfriend and my two best friends are going to want to drive in the car behind me because i feel like that's arguably worse than, <laughs> than running for 30 hours because driving behind someone running for 30 hours is so boring um but yeah so that's that's kind of where my goal is now and what i've been training towards and i was lucky enough that's working on the yachts and stuff i saved up some cash that i can you know i can sort of live these next months without having to run into a job and stuff and have the free time in order to be able to train which has been really yeah really crucial um also trying to get my mindset right for this one has been quite tough but yeah with regards to where my, my running started uh like i said i, I met carl and then my original goal was to run 13 peaks I started running with Mindset Movement in the middle of Jan 2021 and then ran with them for about three and a half weeks. And then they had a training camp, which every sort of two months or so, he does a training camp where we go out and do some fun stuff. And the specific training camp, because he, through coaching me, he uses a program called Training Peach, Training Peaks, sorry, which he can upload the program online and then that downloads to my Garmin On my phone and then on my watch, and then all the runs and stuff that I do at the end of the run, he gets all like my heart rate data and my speed and you know, cadence and everything like that. So he can actually see how my body is adjusting to the training, and then you know, he can increase my mileage or increase my speed or decrease from there and you know, tweak it how my body specifically needs it to be. And in the build up from when I started running with him to the first training camp, he was really trying to give me runs that would end up breaking me because I was only going to run 13 peaks in about, I was aiming for May. Um, so that's, you know, four, five months down the line, which is enough time if you, you know, putting in the effort. Um, so he was really trying to break me at the start of it and then see where my limit is and then build from there. But he kept finding that every run he gave me, like my body just would handle it type thing and I could keep going. So when it came to the first training camp, which was in the middle of Feb, also like hottest month of the year, we just went out in the tank, we went out to Krumrafeer. Uh, and um, the original plan was a David Goggins style four by four by 48 so run four miles every four hours for 48 hours um <clears throat> four miles is about six k's and uh then he gave there were about i think about 15 of us heading out to the camp and then depending on your fitness level he gave you a certain distance to run every four hours so my original distance was uh 10 kilometers which would have over a 24-hour period ended up being like 60 k's um and I remember getting that number and I was like, shit, 60K is far. You know what I mean? Even if it's 25, I was like, that's so far. And bearing in mind, my longest run before this in a single stage was 30 kilometers. So I was like, that's double that. You know, like I was getting a bit nervous type thing. And then a week before we went to the camp, uh, we like, as a group, we all went hiking and stuff like that. And I was up in the front hiking with Carl, And he, again, was getting in my head and saying like, you know, I really want to, breaking stuff like you you the runs you're going on you're obviously you fatiguing and everything, but you know you're coping. And then he put it the idea in my head of like a thing called a backyard ultra, which is a six point seven K loop every hour on the hour. And then you keep running that until you don't make it back for the next hour. You can go out really hard and run it in like thirty five minutes and then you can rest for twenty five and then you start the next one. Or you can go out very chilled and you know you come in at like fifty minutes and you have ten minutes rest type thing. But you just keep going. And I think the so he told me about that. And then I immediately was like, cheapest now, instead of doing six every four hours, I'm going to be doing 6.7 every hour. Or oh, sorry, 10 every four hours. I'm going to be doing every hour. So like, no way. It's just is cooked. There's like, there's no way body can handle this. But ne- nevertheless, like the seed was planted. And then on the Tuesday, we, we met up for coffee and he started speaking to me about it pretty seriously. Um, and like we pulled up my Strava just to check like the, the mileage that I had done and stuff and everything. And I think the the turning point for me was, he told me that if if he was in if his mind was in my body he'd be able to run like 400 k's because it's all mental you know what I mean and I and that that to me was like okay cool like you know if my coach believes in me type thing and he's got all my like my physical stats for the past like three weeks of running with him that makes sense and it also reminded me of a quote that I'd read in like a men's health magazine and I was like 17 or so um, and it was about a guy who started a crossfit gym and. I can't remember who the, who the guy's name was, called for the last memory. But he went to another CrossFit gym and tried out. And the owner of that CrossFit gym said, Your body is fit. It's your mind that's weak. And I remember reading that and being like, cheapers. I don't think there's like at that point in time, I don't know, also don't know why I'd, like it stung me so much, but I was like, that's probably the worst insult you could have you know what i mean that your body's capable but your mind's not letting you do it so i think that that kind of resonated with me when carl said he could you know do like 400ks in my body so i was like okay cool let's let's give us let's give us a shot and he was very instrumental in kind of guiding me that whole week up to the run he said like immediately was like don't talk to a single person about this because uh they're all going to be like they're going to put their negativity on you and because they can't do it they're going to tell you you can't do it and that you're crazy and you know it's all this silly stuff so that's one thing I kept confused myself. And then I also um, he got me to like print up a whole bunch of things saying like a whole bunch of sheets of paper saying like no weakness and like put them all around my room. So like I'd wake up in the morning, see that straight away. And like obviously a couple other words that are like, you know, profanity. That's like, I don't really want to say on the podcast, you know what I mean? Like don't be effing, you know, whatever. Um, and uh yeah, and then he also sent me a whole bunch of podcasts to listen to about ultra runners and you know, what they go through in terms of like hallucinating, um, like body pain, getting in the pain cave, like understanding where my head's going to go. And then I remember the Friday morning, we had uh, like a final gym session before we were driving out that afternoon, and then he kind of told everyone else. like He gave everyone the distances, like, cool, you're doing 8Ks or you're doing 6Ks, or you're doing 10Ks. And then like he left me to the end, and he's like, yeah, and Choppy's going to run 160 and then like everyone in the group, everyone in the group kinda like turned and they were, you know, there was a bit of shock. And then but immediately Kyle was like, but don't talk to him about it at all. No one speaks to him, type thing. Because like, <laughs> he was still like trying to like obviously protect me, which is epic. Yeah. And then we got out, we got out to the to Chrome and then it was literally exactly that. It was a six point seven K loop that I did every hour. Uh, I remember it was cheap as it was. Yeah, it was the tenth hour. So we started at six in the afternoon and then ran through the night, uh, all the way through to next day. And it was, it was hour 10, so it would have been just before sunrise. It was like four in the morning or so. And um, it was double the amount of time I'd ever spent on my feet. It was double the distance I'd ever done on my feet. And I remember doing that loop, like it literally felt like the tendons on my feet were just tearing apart with every step. And I was just, that was my wall, 100%. And I remember getting back to camp and taking my backpack off and like hitting the floor and just like moaning in pain. And then Carl came out and he was like, What's going on? I kind of, like said, like, no, this is, you know, this is a bit too much type thing. And also I was like, I'd done like 70Ks or whatever, 80Ks. I was like, this is sick, you know, like <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then luckily, obviously, luckily Carl was there because then he took me to the showers and he like, he, he told me to go into a cold shower and I got out and he started like stretching my feet and getting in my head and just saying, you know, like, why are you doing this? You needed like, because obviously ultra running is not, it's not going to be comfortable the entire time. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, obviously, you're going to be in pain. That's ridiculous to think that this is going to be a cakewalk. He's just like, you need to either, like, own the pain or let the pain own you. Because either way, like, time's going to pass. But the question is, like, are you? will you? So that kind of got to me as well. And also, I had one of my granddad's war medals on my watch because, he yeah, he was in the Air Force. And then I remember looking down at that and being like, you got to kind of own your, or sorry, you got to kind of honor your ancestors in that way. So then, yeah, like, oh, again, got in my head. got me off, carried on running. And then I remember, like, two hours later, it was sunrise. And I I don't think I've ever felt that elated and that, like, charged and energy in my entire life. Like, sun came up and I was like, oh, my God, you, like, I might as well have a brand new fresh pair of legs. Like, in my head, I was like, we're only doing 24 laps of this. I was like, I'm going to do 50. Like, I'm going to absolutely smoke this out of the park and hit a home run, yeah? And then... Two hours after that i fainted from the heat. So it was just this emotional roller coaster that I just was not expecting. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, yeah, I mean like Carl obviously I didn't come like round for that last lapse. So and he came out and found me. That was also it was only like 33 degrees or so at the time. So it wasn't even two hectic. Like that's obviously why that's next challenge now for Tank was gonna be quite quite a big thing, and that's why heat training has been a big part of my my training regime for now. Yeah, so Carl found me and he took me back and then there was like, there's a dam right next to the base camp. So he put me in the water for like five minutes just to cool down, got me out, uh, got me a fresh change of gear. It was also like, it was super hot that day and you could see I wasn't really exactly there. Uh, So he asked one of the other guys to run me down to where there's a more shaded section where I can just, you know, clock some Ks out and stuff and not, you know, have the sun beating down me the entire time. And I still remember asking because i fully believe this because this is when i started to hallucinate from like lack of sleep and obviously just like effort into the into the run and i f- fully believe that carl and his wife had like packed my school bag and my like the samis and stuff like that and then my mate was going to show me where the school bus was and i like asked him a couple of times and he like yeah a couple of days later he actually referenced he turned me he's like did you remember he sort of asked me where the bloody school bus was oh, my word. um and i think the the one part for me which was uh where i realized how out of it i was we were coming around the one section and like most of the there was one like uphill section specifically that we like we walked each time just to obviously because if you're doing like 160ks if you keep running uphills you're just going to burn out your legs completely so you walk up and then you come down and, and then around the downhill and as we're coming around the top of the loop there was like a fence and then just on the outside of the fence there was like sort of a little outhouse like a little farm outhouse type thing and there were a whole bunch of guys doing construction around it, like, you know, digging holes and it looked like they were planting like, stuff and, you know, just general, like, work on a Saturday. And I remember, like, walking, like, watching these Oaks work. And then the one guy looked at me and I, like, blinked and waved at him. And as I did that, it just, there, it was just trees around this house. Like, there was no one there. So that's, like, when I turned to my man, I grabbed a shot. I was like, please do not leave me. Like, I'm not in this dimension right no, now. And then, yeah, luckily he, like, he showed me where to, where to get a couple of lapsarts and then that was eventually around about like 130k and then i remember running back and like i kept uh this is where your mind starts playing tricks on you uh because in my head i kept coming up with extremely valid excuses as to why i can't carry on you know what i mean and it's like cool i've done over 100ks like on my first ultra like i've you know this is like my my fetus sore, xyz did it and like you come up with the most beautiful excuses and because your brain knows you so well it knows the exact thing to say to like be like okay cool i'm gonna stop but every time i got back to camp to stand next to Carl to like after building up the carriage to tell him my excuse for the whole lap i'd stand in front of him and be like yeah no i can't i can't do this i'm doing another lap like because <laughs> he's just so scary as well but i think that that was a part of it where it's like cool i'm here to aid like prove myself to myself and also i can't disappoint my coach you know what I mean because he's again like I said like that father figure that's like pushing me and stuff and you know the one that I want to like get um get approval of um and then I remember it got so bad like I was in so much pain uh when I was running like the uh, like 135 to 140 the thing is like when you're doing a flat loop like that you're just stepping on the same spot of your feet every single time so every step is it doesn't change. And you know, like If you're doing trail running or something like that, when you're going up, you're going down, you're walking and stuff, so you're hitting different parts of your feet and you can like, you know, it's more engaging as well mentally because you really have to focus when you're running. Whereas doing these like long distance sort of flat events, you're just hitting the wear and tear on the same part of your foot. So it's just, it's absolutely excruciating. Um, so I remember about like 130 or 140, somewhere around there, uh, that as I was coming around to back, the, uh, back to the camp, maybe like a kilometer out, there was a huge group of cars and, like, there were two massive male bulls in the middle. And I was like, oh, here's my shot. So I tried to charge the bulls, hoping that they would maul me <laughs> and, like, break my legs so then I would have an actual excuse to stop running <laughs> in front of Kyle. Like, I was just anything to, like, stop this pain. Yeah, I was probably about 145, 150, and then I got back to camp. And then when I checked my watch, I realized that I was still still on track to be able to do the 160 within 24 hours. Because I think also like between 130 140, I kind of lost faith, and I was like, well, if I'm not going to be, you know, the goal was to do 160 and 24, but like, you know, if I'm going to do 160 25, that's not the same, and I kind of lost lost a bit of faith there. And then I think also then like I stepped off the gas. Like I remember l- seeing a quote from Kobe Bryant where he says like, rest at the end, don't rest in the middle. I only read that quote after I did this bloody ultra. I mean, <laughs> like, <laughs> 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 would have to find it before. Anyway, I remember at the 150, like I, I clicked that I was still on track, uh, but I had to run under six minutes a K. And yeah, same thing. Like Carl sort of sat me down, got in my head. Like his wife was sort of ice in the back of my neck and, you know, refilling my jacket and everything. And uh, yeah, it's like I had, to, I had to burn burn the last little bit of fuel that I had. But I ended up coming in doing 161 in I think it was like 23 hours, 55 minutes and 55 seconds. So yeah, I was pretty stoked at that. And then that was like, nice. yeah, that was a big achievement. It was something that I thought was completely impossible for me going into it. Uh, I didn't speak to anyone else about it because I feel like that would have, uh, maybe my mindset would have reflected in those conversations. Like if I had said to a mate to mine, like, yeah, I'm running 160, and they're like, bro, that's so hectic. And I would be like, yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> like there's no ways I'll be able to touch that. Um, so I think obviously having that trust and that faith in Kyle that I was able to do it. And then obviously pulling it off, it's just, you need to push your goals out, if that makes sense. Like, you know, that was the first time that I saw that if you are trying to achieve something big like it, there's no point in being conservative about anything that you want to do. And that if you are, if you obviously, if you like kind of trust the process, which I feel like a coach is an absolute cheat code, you know, he's, if they've walked it, you know what I mean? then you're not the one sort of like those first mover type thing, you know, trading the steps and making the mistakes and falling in this pot or falling in that pot like, you know, if there's someone who's like walked this path already, then it makes sense to like kind of team up with them and obviously try and gain that knowledge because yeah it just it accelerates your growth so much quicker
0: yeah, I agree I think in anything mentors are so so crucial because they just as you said it's like a cheat code it just shortcuts every single step that you have to take, and you can get from A to B without as you said again you know making all the mistakes that they made before you they can guide you through all the all the pitfalls it's actually something. I've thought a lot about over the course of my life. I've never really had opportunity to work with a mentor, and I just thought how much quicker things would have happened for me if I'd been able to to find someone to connect with on that level. Um, I guess I had it a little bit when I did a bit of bodybuilding because I was a varsity student at the time. I didn't have enough money really to to fully put my money towards it, so he couldn't really give me as much time as as what he would give to his full on clients. Because I just you know it's yeah. obviously for him. It, it, it's a job so that's where his his finances come from so he could help me to a certain extent but i didn't get the full package and just working with him kind of third of the time he would normally give to his yeah. normal clients it did help me so much so i can imagine like if you have it a full time like that it's it's just must be incredible what you can get out of out of one of those kind of relationships
1: yeah exactly i think it's also yeah so you would have faulted, i'm sure doing bodybuilding and stuff like that in terms of the mentality that you have going into it like everything every training session every repetition like with intention you know what I mean to like really be there and and it's like you can't yeah you can't be distracted or you can't be thinking about you know like laundry or anything else like you really have to be so focused into this um and that's what I've been finding out with this next session for well this next training well this training block I've been in sorry for the tankers like everything like I've had mates and stuff who have come running with me uh when I've done sort of you know, like a 45 minute session or an hour session. Yeah, it's so funny. They're like, they try to chat in the first like three, four minutes of it. And I'm just, I kind of have to block it out. And I've been doing a lot of like nose breathing and stuff because that helps to uh, lower the heart rate. And like really be focused at like kind of every session. And then I think after like four or five minutes, I realize that I'm not there to like it's it's not there to be a social meeting. Like this is my training, and they they yeah. can join it. Or, it's not a
0: recreational right? Yeah, run.
1: exactly. They can join it and understand that that's what it is. Or you know they can I'll see them another time. Um, obviously yeah. when the socializing comes afterwards. We have like you know coffee and a croissant. It's like <laughs> that's where you can get the good <laughs> chats in. But yeah, with with everything that I'm doing right now, it's it's so like you have to be so focused.
0: Have you found anyone in your friend group? Obviously, you don't have to name drop or anything, or even just in like your acquaintances circle, where like people think what you're doing is a bit odd and kind of can't really <laughs> can't, can't really like understand or connect with what you're doing.
1: Yeah, hundred percent.
0: Sorry, the reason why I ask the reason why I ask is because when I did bodybuilding, I did I only did two shows because I very quickly realised and I've mentioned this before, two things like, number one, genetically, I am i don't think I have the best genetics for that kind of that kind of look. And then number two, the lifestyle that you have to live as a bodybuilder is quite solitary and quite, almost a bit, to, like I'm a very social person. So for me, someone like me, it was a bit depressing to be like in my own head all yeah. the time and just focus on myself all the time. So those two things, those two factors, I realized like, this is not the life for me, but I, it was also similar to you. Like I wanted to do it just that one day when I'm 45 years old, I can look back and say, at least I gave it a crack. At least I don't have the regret of not stepping on stage. Yeah. So that's why I was like, there were a few people. It wasn't really my close friends. My close friends were on board because they understood how important it was to me, but there were other people sort of in the, in the fringe of, of like the social circle that kind of, you can see they're like, what the fuck are you doing? I'm sorry for to to (laughs) use some French there, but like, um, is, do you, have you, have you experienced that at all?
1: Yeah. Like 100%. Um, I think, Sham, I think the the most confused are actually, like, my parents. Because, like, also the same time, Sham, like, I've come back from the arts. I've been away for a year and a half, so they're just so excited to see me. And then this previous Christmas and New Year's period, like, we normally – we're very fortunate. We've got a little, like, a tiny little cottage on the side of the river up the coast. And we normally go up there, and it's normally a big festivity, you know, a lot of drinking, a lot of fun and X, Y, Z. And this year, I had to be super uh, disciplined. Like, I wasn't drinking at all. I was going to bed at, you know – 8 which wow. is when they start lighting the fire for the bride <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean and like so like they're super social in the evening and then i'm waking up early morning to go around and stuff like that and they kind of i, I understand that like, shame it does take a toll on them as well because you know i'm I'm there but i'm not there and they just can't yeah they also they, they've said it a couple of times like they're just quite confused as to why I'm, I'm kind of doing this and then also yeah i'd say like you said like most of my mates are kind of on board they're kind of just accepting it which is which is cool uh but it's exactly that mentality that you had um i think a big driver for me to want to do this race uh obviously on top of doing the charity side of it and, and you know giving back i remember we i think we we're in intib it was like july this year august this year uh we we're in a and we had a weekend off um and so i just want to get off the boat and i would to uh apartment in the town went to drop my bags and when i was leaving to go get dinner i remember coming down the stairs and seeing like an elderly couple come through their door and they were like cheap as they must have been pushing like 85 area the husband was all right he could kind of move but shame the wife was like you know super decrepit type vibe like completely broken very hunched over like here to hop up the one step to get in the elevator to go up to their room and it was the first time the penny dropped for me properly that like that is going to come for all of us and I already had this like desire to do another big round of mine, but like seeing that, like I couldn't think of any worse demons than being that age and not having pushed myself and my body was capable now, you know what I mean? And actually finding my breaking point because obviously doing that one sixty was like, you know, it was a huge task and everything. But like at the end of the day, like, yeah, I hit a wall at what 80 and then like hit a wall fainted at like 120, but I didn't actually fail or break. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, and so there's yeah there's a bit of that desire in me to be like okay where is my where is my actual limit you know what i mean
0: do you think that becomes a kind of an addiction because when i listen to david goggins speak and i have I've had another ultra runner on the show called billy richards um you should actually check out his, his page on instagram it's he's pretty impressive he's yeah, he's done it. like over 600 events he hasn't finished them all some of them he, he dnf'd and stuff like that but he's entered like over 600 events he he's got like a chronic hip injury now. So he does more Spartan type events that the obstacles break up the run so that he can actually not experience the, the constant pain of running on his hip the whole time.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Um, but he's done loads of like ultras. Um, he was saying the same, the same kind of thing, you know? Yeah. He kind of spoke in that, in that kind of wording, like he was looking, he's searching for the breaking point. He's searching for how far he can push himself. Do you think that maybe that can become a little bit of an obsession Obviously, it's it's great because it's pushing you, but do you maybe ever see that as becoming like a negative thing?
1: Yeah, that's that's a very good question. That's something that I haven't kind of sort of sitting over and pondering lately. I think, yeah, it absolutely can become an addiction. As tough as it is to put yourself in that mental state and, you know, push your body and, and really grind it out, it's almost easy because, like, balance is more difficult than an extreme, if that makes sense, I find. So, it, it's yeah, it's more difficult to, like, you know, be social and have dorps and stuff like that, and then go train the next day, as opposed to just throwing myself in the deep end one way. Also, a bit of like solitude in that sense is also like I'm also very so- a social person, but I'm su- I'm super social for like six days a week, and then like a hermit crab a day seven. You know what I mean? Like like a recharge of my own type vibe. And I think I don't know if this this ultra run is like the culmination of my year and a half in yachting because you don't have a single moment to yourself at all. Like you are staying in like on the yacht, you're staying in a cabin with a bunk mate, type thing. You know, it feels like you. 10 years old again he's sleeping at your friend's house and like you know there's just always someone around you so there was never time for me to actually recharge my batteries so coming back and stuff and then having this like excuse not to drink and this excuse to be on my own and run on my own and stuff and this excuse to like kind of recharge my batteries I think that could potentially play a part in it as well um but yeah, yeah. I do think that it it is something that if if you leave it unchecked it can kind of take over because there's always something more you know what I mean like there's always another round that you can do there's always another comedy you can push there's always another step you can take so it's kind of in that sense it's almost like yeah 100 i do believe it can be addiction and it's it's checking yourself and understanding where you can say okay cool that's enough i've pushed myself
0: that's so true and again it's amazing how these things cross over like i've often because i've i've studied um a bit of financial things and i'm very interested in in learning from people that have been extremely successful in business and finance and things like that. And a lot of those like biographies or autobiography books and things like that talk about understanding what does enough mean to you. Mm. Because a lot of those a lot of those super like super wealthy people, they just continue to drive and push and and then oftentimes what happens is sort of in the later parts of their life they kind of look back and they're like, shit, well I have I've lost Everything other than the money. I've spent all my time at work. I don't have any relationships with my family. My wife left me. You know, there's quite a lot of sad stories that come out of those hyper-successful people because they're so driven by their jobs. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's again, like understanding what enough means to you, I think is is so important. And I guess that's learning about yourself, understanding yourself, which is probably one of the hardest things to do is that internal self-knowing. Um. I mean, that's why it's so pervasive. I mean, got, from the beginning of ancient philosophies and stuff you know aristotle and all those guys talk about learning about yourself and understanding yourself and it being like life's most exciting greatest journey so yeah, it's interesting that you you framed it in and experiencing it as like part of your running process
1: yeah fair and i think it's also it's a fine line and being like okay cool i'm going for a run, um which is something that's technically healthy and obviously spending time in your own head like sort of checking emails and clearing out the inbox and then also using that as an excuse for you know the like the addictive, quote unquote,
0: behavior. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Like, I think, and it's because of my experience with bodybuilding. So, another thing that I forgot to mention earlier is another reason why I was a bit uncomfortable with bodybuilding is like the health risks. So, oh, yeah. And I, I've been open about this on the podcast. So, sorry to those people who listened to this story before, but <laughs> I'll repeat myself because Choppy hasn't heard it. <laughs> I got into bodybuilding and then I, I was. I was training, but I hadn't competed yet. And I was going to a few shows to tr- try and t- see what the process is like. Is this actually something I really want to do? Can I see myself up there? Can I put myself in their shoes? Those kind of things. Hmm. Then I started seeing these guys on stage and I was like, okay, these oaks are massive. Like what is going on? Because um, I was still, I was quite naive. Um, I was 20, When when was this? I was 23 when I kind of started getting interested in that kind of lifestyle. Okay. And by 25... By twenty-five, I decide I really, I really decide. Okay, cool. I want to compete, but I was still relatively quite small, and I was looking around, and I was like, like I didn't. I knew there were steroids in bodybuilding, but I thought steroids were only being used by like top-level pros because I mean, why would you take steroids if you aren't a professional? Yeah. I very quickly realized that that's not the case. Obviously, to compete and to qualify to get your pro card, loads of these are reducing because yeah, that's what it takes to to become a professional bodybuilder. Exactly. So. I I was like, okay, cool. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to I'm going to have to take steroids to to a, to be able to compete with other steroid users.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's just to level the playing field.
0: Otherwise, the, the other option was to go and compete in natural bodybuilding. I went to one natural bodybuilding show, and I was like, nah, that's not what it's about. Like, it's a completely different sport. Like, guys are muscular but small because. Uh, the the process of getting super lean is also super catabolic to muscle. And so they get cut, but they lose a lot of their mass, their mass. Um, And I like, I didn't want that look. I wanted that full typical kind of bodybuilders look. And then I realized after doing two shows, I was prepping for a a third show, but unfortunately my mom passed away in between that. So I, I I pulled out of that show because I had to take time for the family. No, it's no worries, man. Um, It was three, almost four years ago now. But yeah, so I, I pulled out of that and then, but I was in the process of preparing, so I was I was on gear at the time, and I remember like having qu- like on the one side of my glute, I had a little bit of scar tissue starting to form because of the frequency of of injecting, and so I think my mom passing away kind of I was so when I when I prep for shows, I get very like tunnel vision, like you're mm. talking about with with your training, and like everything else is is kind of secondary concerns, and so things like that, I didn't really sit and think about like what is what am I doing in terms of like the future of my health and, and my wellness and those kind of things. And my yeah. mom passing away gave me a little bit of time to, to reflect on myself and like what I was doing. The ch- if the choices I was making were healthy or, or not. And I realized like bodybuilding is not a health sport. It's all about appearance, but on the inside, it's really not good yeah. for you. And that, sorry, it's a hell of a roundabout way to get to this question. No, no, no. no, no, no. I wanted to ask you, it, it, do you not feel like these extreme distances and things like that, are you not worried that, if you do it for an extended period of time that it's going to come back and bite you when you're older, like if you look at someone like Goggins, for example, like how shattered his knees are now and his body's kind of a little bit more broken than it was when he started. Does that come into your mind at all or being young and stuff, you just kind of giving it a go while you have it?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, yeah, I mean, also a good point of the, the whole side of bodybuilding. Like I've had a mate who's, you know, peed blood right before a show, um, which is not healthy at all. No, not good. Um, Luckily, I haven't. I had that kind of extreme with my running. I think, as you say, like the 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 blinkers are on with the focus, very narrow minded, right at this point in time, at least. I know after when I ran 13 Peaks, I always had issues with my left ITB, and then like 20 kilometers from the end of 13 Peaks, my right ITB popped. Um, so that was quite uncomfortable, and then I just I took off running for a while after that. The amount of headspace I've given longevity has not been. Sufficient. I think for right now, I know like it's just this one that I need to get through. So I'm just kind of head down, focus. You know, but I'm just making sure my nutrition's right. I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot of recovery stuff. I'm sauntering off to every session. um I'm doing my ice bars My, you know, my my micronutrients and stuff is on point, especially with, like my vitamins and everything like that. So for now, like the body feels good. I mean, obviously, I've got like a little a little bit of actually, as I say that, like I've been icing my lower back this morning. <laughs> um So you know, there's there's cracks are coming through. Um, so, it's a very good question right now. I think there is a sustainable way to do it. Uh, this is for this race, this is the most sustainable that I've done it, um, okay. that I've done any ultra. Because, like like I said, when I ran that 160, I uh, only trained with th- uh, mindset movement for three weeks. And then between 160 and 13 peaks, we ran a 50K ultra out in Cedarburg. And I just I went in that, into that super ar- arrogantly. The night before I'd done like 20Ks, so I hadn't really stretched or warmed up the next day. So my ITB went straight again. Uh, and then for a month before 13 peaks, I was actually, I was still injured with that ITB. I couldn't run. So for my my training for that month was just sitting on the rower doing 21Ks. Um, wow. So, yeah. So I think, and then now, so obviously having been back from November, so it's November, December, Jan, and a little bit of Feb to be able to, to prep for this one. So it is the most sustainable and I can kind of see if I had a little bit longer time, it 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 should be okay. I think sustainably for me, like, I don't think I'd be able to enter sort of 600 ultra events. That's a bit insane <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, I think that's a bit, that's setting the bar quite high, but I'd say like maybe one to two a year, you can kind of find a sustainability in that for sure. Okay. Especially if you're really focusing on your recovery and stuff and your sleep, which is obviously the most important for me right now.
0: That's a, that's a big difference. Cause you're somebody that I think you're looking at it in a different way. You're not going out there to kind of break trying because the, the guy that I mentioned, Billy Richards, he, yeah. one of his things, I think it was 2018. He set out to break the record of ultras in a year. And at Jeez. one point he was running like one a week, um, towards the back end of 2018. Cause he needed to get to at least 42 to break the record. So he hit 35 and at 35, he stopped because his, the cartilage in his left hip. I think cartilage in his left hip, just like no mate that you, you can 't you're done he did thirty five yeah. in a year, so I guess there's, there's like <laughs> there's degradations Jeez. there's like a spectrum of 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 how you yeah, can that's approach nice. it yeah, so I think that is nice but to be fair, your approach I think is is a little bit more smart if you 're thinking about the future and you're thinking about being able to do it when you if you want to continue running it like fifty, you can still mm. at least get around whereas his body might not be so kind to him when he when he hits like 50 60 years old you know what i mean
1: yeah exactly no for sure i mean it's uh, longevity has been sort of in my awareness for a while like my best friend uh from varsity he was a professional water polo player um and like played for smns and you know went and played in uh it was uh, we played in europe and stuff and you know like super super high level athlete and then uh but obviously just shattered his rotator cuff From you know all the water polo over the years and stuff and obviously growing up through through growing pains and everything and obviously while he hitting puberty and all that stuff he was just you know rocketing it and um he had a surgery he also is a very good surfer and he had a surgery that afterwards the surgeon said cool you can play water polo for another year or you can surf when you're 80 you know what i mean you can't have both and so and he told me that and obviously he's wisely chose um <laughs> uh, you know be able to surf at 80 still yep. so there's that and also like on some of my runs like my mates have joined me on their bike and stuff like that and one of my family friends dad uh he came with he was cycling next to me and he kind of also just gently nudged me in that direction he said you know like chum this is i know you're doing this race and stuff and it's all cool and everything but like if you want to be able to still run with your mates like later on like you know maybe maybe just do like half marathons a week type thing You know, and just to like, so it has, I've been very fortunate that like, you know, my circle around me, even though they can be quite (laughs) confused as to why I'm doing this, they are, they also have my best interest at heart for later on and they are sort of, you know, tapping that side of me. Because I think, yeah, it it could be a case if that wasn't what they were kind of nudging me towards, then I would be too blinded by the task at hand right now um, and very short sighted.
0: The thing about those kinds of situations, right? Like maybe it's the cynic in me. There's two kinds of people there. You you'll get the people that actually really care about you and they're thinking about you in the future. But if you're surrounded with the wrong kinds of people, you might also get people saying that because they're almost like projecting from themselves, like sort of that they're not able to do it. So you like just be careful of you know what I mean? Like Yeah, I get that. Is it a case of them supporting you or is it a case of them like holding you back? There's like a there's some people that that will ho- will be holding you back without even really intentionally doing so. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know. Like, yeah. I've just heard lots of stories about people who've kind of been dragged down by the people around them. Not, n- n- not even necessarily like maliciously, just kind of yeah. because you're doing something so extraordinary, it kind of puts them in a insecure situation. So they kind of want to bring you down to their level. But I mean, hopefully that's not the case with you. You support surrounded with like the right kind of people, friends and family and loved ones.
1: Yeah, sure. No, do. I I appreciate that 100%. And I have heard of stories like that as well. Exactly that. People's kind of, when you start shining, like it sort of shines a light on their insecurity and then they kind of go like, "Ooh, I don't like that. <laughs> and then They kind of doubt it. But um, yeah, I kind of I also trust my intuition with people and at least the ones that I have sort of close around me and the ones that I have, because I've spent a couple of years curating okay. my friendship group and the, you know, the mindsets of the people that I have around me. Um, and I love them yeah. dearly, you know what I mean? Um, and it's been a lot of trial and error. It's been a lot of, especially at school and stuff, you know, trusting immediately like a friend and then obviously getting burnt. Um, so it's been a lot of, you know, trial and error that intu- and honing in that intuition that I have in terms of being able to pick up what a person's intentions are in with the interaction or the friendship. Yeah.
0: And I think that also comes with maturity that definitely definitely grows like i feel as i've gotten older I've, that sort of sixth sense gets better and i think also just mm. time with people if you spending a lot of time with a person you obviously it's more and more difficult for them to hide their true person and, and what they're about
1: mm. exactly and also as it's like for me at least it's also becoming i feel like before i left to go on the yacht so before what mid 2021 uh i was an extreme like people pleaser uh, and I didn't allow myself to sort of take up space in a conversation. I was constantly like, you know, ducking. Well, not ducking and dodging, but, you know, I give away to other people like, you know, everyone else came first. You know, that's like, that's hard. i uh, in this in this world. A lot of that came with uh, like, that was just obviously giving consistent energy to other people. And then, um, yeah, coming back from the arts and kind of seeing that I can stand on my own and I am capable of taking up space and sort of realizing the the energy that I add to a situation And then kind of like reviewing all the stuff that I've, you know, the interactions that I've had and the relationships that I've had. And, you know, just kind of realizing that, you know, I do actually add value. (laughs) Um, So I'm very, it's, it's allowed me to kind of be able to say no, which has been quite nice. Um, So coming back and being like, okay, cool. That person doesn't actually, I don't actually really vibe with them. It's okay. No, like ill will or anything, Um, but I'm just not going to go all out for them like I would have before. You know what
0: I mean? If you don't mind me asking, how old are you?
1: Uh, 29. So I'm trying
0: to think in my situation, like I also went through something very similar, but mine was more a process of like messing up quite badly at university and then having to, or playing the victim for like a good year or so, like the world's out to get uh, me kind of thing. And then, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then kind of coming full circle and realizing shit, if I don't, if I don't save myself and pull myself out of this nonsense, no one else is going to come and get me. So, um, yeah. but yeah like I experienced it m- a little bit earlier than you I think 27 but it, like sort of very introspective and in realizing like yeah, I've, I, I've got value to offer and those kinds of things very interesting that I think, I think most young people go through it eventually but it yeah. seems like yours is very intentional which resonates with me because mine was very intentional like I set out to, to do it it wasn't like a process of growing up it was like I'm in a shitty situation and I need to actively change it and I need to take like, active steps to do things to better my situation. Sounds like kind of what, what you're saying. Yeah, for
1: sure. I think um, part and parcel of that, for me at least, was also the nice thing about heading on the yachts was before I went and you know, experienced a lifestyle, like I said, it was itchy to scratch. So I think it was always in the back of my head of like, it's something that I wanted to do and I told myself that I wanted to do, but I hadn't done it yet. You know, I hadn't taken that step. Um, and I remember watching, I can't remember the guy's name on Instagram, but he says, like, you you build your self-confidence by keeping promises to yourself. So I think the fact that I'd always been like, oh, I'd be sick to go do the yachts, for be sick to go do the yachts, but I never did it. And I never actually actualized and stuff. It's kind of like I almost couldn't really trust myself. And then add on top of that was being in Cape Town and stuff like that. Like, I absolutely love the city, but there's obviously quite a few people... Well, there's, I mean, and there are a lot of people that are doing well. You know, they drive like a super nice car, like my age, and they got like a super nice car, they got a good job, they got a sick apartment and stuff like that. And that's epic. Like, I'm super happy for them. But there is also the side of it that like, it kind of makes me almost like, like yeah, it kind of made me insecure and in being like, shit, you know, I'm not there yet. Like, I don't have that. What am I doing wrong? All this stuff. You know, I wasn't really where I wanted to be. Going overseas, A, being removed from Cape Town for a little while, and then coming back into it to be able to like see it from a different perspective if you want to call it that because i was so like ingrained in in the whole culture and then also having gone overseas a making like some reasonable like money to be able to come back and then like chill and park and then also seeing that the china who had the nice car and the nice apartment he kept on like he's in the same tax bracket as me compared to these like billionaires overseas you know what i mean so like it kind of allowed me to be like sick like you've got cool stuff and i'm like stoked for you but it like it just kind of blew away that insecurity for me it was just it was very nice to kind of remove myself. It's that it's that whole perspective situation. Yeah. Where like if you know if you have a problem or whatever, if you just kinda of take a step back and look at it from a different angle, that's exactly what the yacht allowed me to do. Yeah. And also like even striving for goals, for example, like like this charity that I'm running now. Like it was very it was fun to see and like I mean, no ill will to any of like anyone that is not supporting it for example but it's like because i launched a different instagram page that i've been posting on my like workouts to and a lot of stuff and i was just trying to make that as entertain- entertaining as possible and then that's got like the uh, backer back of buddy link it and stuff like that because in my head i was like cool if that's entertaining and then they see that then hopefully they'll donate so i thought they might convert um and then launching that at the start and you know getting a hold of my mates to share the page and they all shared it which was epic and i love the boys and, and the girls who did it as well uh, but there were quite a few people who messaged me uh or like reply to story like oh this is so amazing you're doing so well like you know i'm so proud of you i'm gonna support you all the way type thing but then don't like follow the page or haven't you know said it shared anything or you know definitely haven't donated or something like that and it's very like look at me appreciating you type thing like look at me you know acknowledge me acknowledging you type thing but then there's nothing yeah. behind it you know what i mean it's like that's completely like i again i'm so like chilled with everyone like you know staying in their own lane and stuff and i'm not trying to change anyone but I just think I wasn't aware of that before. I was naive to that. Going overseas and, and changing around stuff something that like those were the people that probably had the most uh draw on me in terms of like wanting to people please them and stuff like that. And those are now it's turned out those are the people with the least amount of reciprocation behind it. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was a very it was a very good growth period for me having done that. And I think that's also another step as to why like I can just be so focused now um, and not be involved in the whole Festival, Cape Town party scene yeah. type five, which is because, yeah, then this is what I want to do. And no one else is paying the bills or putting food to the table or, you know, going to make it happen. I stopped me.
0: drinking for sober October last year, just as, as I do every year. Every year I take a month off, reset. Then, like, November rolled nice. around and I didn't drink. December, I didn't drink. Now, I'm like, I still haven't had a drink. As the time is extending forward, I'm starting to see like tons of benefits from not going out and spending time drinking, not just from the from the drinking mm-hmm. side. Productivity is way up. My, my mental state, I'm like far more, what is stable. Yeah. It's not feeling guilty about getting pissed and hanging and then feeling anxious because I don't feel so nice. Having said, okay, cool, I'm going to go for a run or go to the gym later and then being like, actually, no, I can put it off tomorrow because I'm not feeling so great today. Like All these, those small little benefits, you talking about pulling yourself out of the, the December joining thing. I don't know. I'm just finding, I'm very lucky because in South Korea, I'm I'm quite removed from from my mates and things like that, because they're all, all overseas. Obviously, they're not here, so it's been easier for sure. I've just been thinking, yeah, because I'm moving over to London hopefully next year. It's been wondering if, it, like, is that going to be possible? Yeah. And you just talking about sort of thinking about friendships and who has your back and who doesn't, and who reciprocates and who doesn't. And it's yeah, those kinds of things have started to creep up as the time is drawing closer and closer to moving. If I decide to stay sober and into the future, I often wonder about like which people will be the ones that you described there and happy for you and really happy for you or those that are just doing it for the sake of doing it and not actually having any follow through.
1: And shame. I think talking about it like a transactional reciprocational way does make it sound a bit harsh. I I do know that, but you have to at least be aware or cognizant of that because hundred percent, Yeah, there was, I mean, like I said, when I was, you know, completely like for everyone else and all myself, then you kind of end up just draining yourself completely. And then at the end of the day, after that, there's almost nothing left for you to give. So then kind of everyone loses out there anyway.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess I always look at principles and platitudes that a lot of successful people repeat. And one of the ones that is often said is that whole, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend your most time with kind of messaging. Yeah. And so, I mean, that can't be it can't be bullshit there's so many people repeat that and so many people live by that and i've heard there's so many people in their autobiographies that are successful and stuff that talk about how they had to curate their friendship group and how to, i mean it's difficult none of them said it with a smile on their face none of them are like oh great i'm like letting go of all my like lifetime buddies but it but it, it's something yeah. that unfortunately it's something that you sometimes you have to look and most times you probably you're going to be good your close friends are going to still be your close friends because they're good people and whatever yeah. but Every now and again, there might be a close friend that by virtue of their lifestyle or whatever it may be, might not be the best fit for you at this stage of your life. It might have been a great fit when you're in your 20s because you guys were in the same kind of headspace. But as you age and get older, those things change. And it, yeah, it's it's difficult because it's really uncomfortable having to change your depth of your relationship with someone who you like obviously care about and have built something strong with. It's just something I think about a lot. I just feel like I'm a, I'm a bit of a different person now than I was when I left South Africa three years ago. And it just, mm. it's going to be interesting to see if the new version of me is still compatible with my mates.
1: Yeah, that's a very, very good point. That's a very good point. I mean, I've got a mate who, he's obviously working in the UK uh, and we, we chat very often. Um, and then he was down now in December for like two weeks or so. And um, we were also having a very similar conversation in terms of kind of like taking inventory of the people in life and who we want to give our time to like in, i think in that respect you kind of you end up taking responsibility for your life and someone who was good for you in your 20s and stuff which is fantastic or like early 20s for example who can be bad for you now like it's it is a tough call um i think that's all part of growing up and taking responsibility and taking ownership and accountability for your life and what you want to live uh, and that's all part of yeah growing into the, the human and the man that you want to be Or woman, for example, Um, because yeah, you need, like, if you're not intentional, then, you know, you're kind of just going to drift with wherever life goes. Yeah. Um, So, and if you find that, like, some people are 100%. So, crews, you know, they're like, you know, and it's sick. Like, I can, I can uh, applaud a person like that because I think I'm, I get a bit too uh, anxious about being ruddled, you know?
0: But, like, what you're describing is, it's the easier path to go. Yeah. It's the path that's far more comfortable because you just yeah. you go with the flow. It's a lot easier to just to go with the flow than it is to actually sit down and deconstruct everything and be like, shit, I'm actually not being intentional here, here, and here. And I think that's part and parcel of why like success is, and I'm not talking about success in just one frame. I'm talking about well, however you define success as a person, you know, it's difficult for everybody to to be successful because it requires that intentionality that isn't, easy it's the harder route to go so yeah people tend to slip back i mean i catch myself even now i've built up some pretty good habits around training and gymming and stuff like that the days is where i don't want to go and train but i'm always like that is the day that i have to go because if yeah. i can go today then i can go any other day of the week like it's just and it's the same thing with relationships and it's not going to be always going to be easy to to, to reflect and say shit actually that person's not so good for me I need to change that relationship or spend less time with them, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah but it's, it's tough. I think if you can get through those tough times, then you can, you pretty much, you're buttressing yourself, or as David Goggins likes to say, you're callousing the mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. for Like anything, anything else that's coming down the pipe. You kind of arrive at these conclusions if you have enough life experience and you're pursuing certain things and trying to make something of yourself.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think any kind of growth or transformation or anything is going to be. Difficult and tricky, and feel uncomfortable at the start, and you're naturally going to want to just fall into what you've always done. So, yeah, yeah any kind of any kind of progress is going to be quite. <laughs> there's definitely going to be effort put in. You know what I mean? You don't, you're not just going to fall into yeah. into success, or you're not just going to fall into the life you want to feel. You're going to have to kind of be intentional with it.
0: Do you know? Do you know Jocko Willink?
1: Yeah, love it, i have read his book, <laughs> Extreme Ownership. since insane. Yeah,
0: yeah, same. Yeah, one of my favorite books yeah. in the last couple of years. He he's got a thing. I mean, he said. Uh, someone like wrote in or he saw somewhere on a tweet, someone saying things always kind of just work out for themselves. He's like, no, they don't. (laughs) You have to go and make things work. Like you don't sit there and wait for things to work out. You have to take life by the balls and and make things work. So it's like, and I, and I think I'm one of those people, like I'm, I can be quite hardcore in, in in those kind of guys. And people think like I'm at times can be a little bit tactless because I'm quite, it's not that I'm unempathetic. It's just that I'm quite, I believe that if you put your mind to something, you can do it. Mm. You've got to just, you've got to want it hard enough. And I think I kind of learned those kind of things from my dad. My dad's very much like that, that hardcore messaging. So someone like Goggins, Jocko Willink, yeah. I love that kind of messaging, but it's yeah. not for everyone. So I understand that. And I think that's also maybe where you run into some obstacles with friends or family is because they're not on board with that messaging. It might come across as what you're doing as being like crazy or, or different or weird.
1: Yeah. That's a very good point. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's kind of everyone receives, I guess, information experiences in their own personal way. So exactly, you can't. Yeah. So I guess also that's the thing. If people see you doing something different or learning a different way, and they can't understand it or fully wrap their head around it, it's natural to get, yeah, to get confused. And I think I think anger, like there can be a bit of anger that comes out of confusion. I think I've experienced that with some of my friends. They kind of just they just don't understand, and then they kind of almost get annoyed that they don't understand almost. Um, yeah. And it's tough. Yeah, it's tough to put into words. I mean, I remember you can't really uh, like words don't really teach. Experience does, um, and I found yeah. that with like books and stuff that I've read. Like I've read, I mean, The Alchemist, for example, um, by Paulo Coelho. Like that's Great a book. that's yeah that's a book that I read sort of once a year type thing. And every time I read it, it there's like a different message in it, uh, because obviously I've had a year worth of experiences that I hadn't had before. So you can kind of dive deep into certain topics, or something will just ping up with you. So yeah, so that's. That's a very yeah. It's a very good point. It kind of like everyone kind of needs their own channel to to learn from, yeah. And they can be kind of as with everything, these you know they, they can be conflicts in in certain ways. And people can obviously think that their way is best or their way is best, and they you know it can be quite quite touchy after that. But yeah, I do feel that yeah, as long as you're not kind of harming anyone and doing what you're doing, like hundred percent go <laughs> go at it, you know, go for mean? it. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Sheesh, we got dragged so far off. (laughs) (laughs) It's super chilled. Um, I love it. Like, I I dig... That's why I I really... Why I started this podcast is like... And why I don't like... As we chatted before, I don't like to script too much because those kinds of things tend to come up and then you run with them, which is great. But I think it's important that we talk about the charity that you're running for, what they're (laughs) about, and also you can send me links and things like that to to try and help you out. I'm more than happy to do that for you. Um, So yeah, do you want to share a bit about the the, the charity and then sort of why you chose them and how people can help?
1: Yeah, for sure. So uh, I think coming back and stuff and obviously knowing I was going to do this run, there were kind of two points to wanting to run for charity. A would just be for motivation and and B would just to be, to actually give, you know, give back and, and make it worthwhile. Because obviously I've done long runs and stuff like that just for my own, my own head and mental space. But this one I wanted to do for something bigger than me and greater than me. When I thought of what to run for, like I had a mate of mine who ran for a men's mental health in Europe. I thought what's kind of what's given me the biggest amount of happiness back home would be because we've got two rescue dogs at home. And the one in the middle, she's absolutely... <laughs> That's a character, I love that dog. Um, and uh, she just brings so much joy. And so I thought, okay, it's like, well, you know, there are plenty of other dogs out there that, you know, can bring people joy and you know, do you deserve a life? And they also they can't really fend for themselves, you know. What I mean, they don't really have a voice to say, like, you know, listen, I'm you know, struggling or whatever. So I thought that would be the best route to go. And then I thought of like obviously the big ones like SPCA, dog and tears and all that stuff. And they do like they've got traction and stuff and the fact that they could come to mind as soon as i thought about you know doing animal stuff i thought it might be fair for me to try and find another animal clinic that isn't as well known at least in my perception in my, in my space uh so i spoke to one of my friends who she's been insane with regards to like finding strays and fostering them and taking care of them and then like finding homes and all that stuff and she yeah you know, she does she just does work all the time it's insane she's an absolute angel and so she put me onto this clinic that I'm working with called Imsananda Animal Clinic and it's out in Kailiche. And uh, so yeah, when I got back, I went out, the first thing I did was go out to visit them and stuff. And within the first like two minutes, I could see that this was a place that I really wanted to work with. Uh, they've actually been running for about 25 years by a guy I started called Mr. Joe. He's an absolute legend. He like 25 years ago, he was just walking down a street in Kailiche and he saw a whole lot of animals all tied up and stuff that weren't getting treated to, you know, his liking at least. So you went and got a trolley and you filled it with like water and dog food and stuff. And you would go down the road, like sort of feeding the animals and everything. And then, and then put like a wash bucket in and started washing them. And then like grew from there and you got a container, you know, you could start having people come in and like fostering and stuff like that. And just kind of like, so over 25 years it's grown and it's quite a, a decent operation at this point. It's, um, they've got roughly about 600,000 around with the medical equipment that they use to treat the animals. Oh. Um, they do a whole lot of free vaccinations and, and, um, what's the other one? Like neutering and stuff like that uh sterilizing there we go and sterilizing stuff a month they have like their mobile clinic they've got a bucky with the whole like setup on the back of the trailer that they go out into the township with and, and use they are obviously being kailisha it's kind of seen as a very dangerous area so they don't really get that many visitors unfortunately and yeah i think they also just before christmas they got hit uh and like had a little burglary in there which is very unfortunate and on top of that um obviously with load shedding and stuff like that now in south africa with all these blackouts. They have a bit of stress with regards to their like very delicate, well, delicate medical equipment that they obviously need yeah. to to run the operation with. So they're saving up for an inverter to be able to cover the whole operation for, you know, like six hours or so or whatever. So yeah, you can imagine the the headache of having to well, not the headache, but you know what I mean, the chore of having to run a whole facility like that, make sure everything's good, and then be stressing about load shedding and, and all these other things. So yeah, I think the the main drive for me would be to hopefully get the inverter for them and stuff. Be able to kind of like cover it from that point of view. And because then obviously it's highly stressful running an operation like that as it is. But then thinking yeah. that at any, you know, if you don't have your schedule dialed in with the load shedding stuff and be able to switch the equipment off safely and everything before, then there's a the headache of potentially having that going down here as well. Yeah. So yeah. And like, and it's, they've, like I said, they don't really get many visitors and stuff. So from my kind of point of view, it was nice to obviously work with them and stuff and just kind of, you know, try and get a bit more eyes on operation and stuff and make it life a little bit easier for them because that's like one of the most inspiring things for me for this run was actually going to the clinic and working with the animals and stuff and then seeing the people that work there. They're just like, I mean, I don't know how they keep a smile on their face. Um, It's just like, it's insane because I mean, it's obviously it's out in like super hot conditions. It can be very noisy there with all the dogs barking the entire time, and like obviously some are going in for operations and stuff, and it's just like it's just it was chaos there. Like it's organized chaos. They handle it very well. That's like I was super impressed. But yeah, it's just it's something that I'll be able to, like I'll look back on during my run when you know times get tough and stuff, and just be like, yeah, come on, bro, this is one day of going through this. Like you know, they argue you do this every kind of day, like putting in this amount of effort for the dogs as well. Yeah, yeah, it's something that was closer <clears throat> closer for me to to be able to want it back and yeah and then the other thing is like all the people that have donated and stuff and share support like that's one thing i the when i did the 160 was i had a list on the cooler box of like the reasons why i was doing it so <laughs> what i'm going to do with the, when i run this one i'm going to have a list of everyone who donated and, like write their name on the cooler box and they like every time something gets tough i'm going to look at one name and like circle it and then be like cool like you know you can do like another 5ks with this like and then when it gets tough after that circle another name and like just you know slowly like check people off the list
0: awesome yeah, it's like a way of of keeping yourself accountable to the people that have sort of backed you to yeah, do the exactly. journey. Yeah, it's crazy to see how much like motivation cool,
1: it brings me. Just even to like dial in my focus during training and stuff like that. When every time we go to the page and you know, like another one of my friends is, you know, because there's, there's like obviously levels of support and I they all mean a lot. Obviously, like I'm not trying to put anyone down or anyone else, but like you know, there's like when someone actually you know goes the extra mile, opens up their wallet to show support. That's like you know, that's a big that's a big shift. You know, that's an actual momentum shift. Like there's a lot of friction in the process to, to that point. Well, like I'll try and make it as smooth as possible, but at the end of the day to actually go the distance and do that. Yeah. It means a lot. And it's just like, okay, so cool. Today I'm going to put an extra intent. Like, so yeah, so that's going to be a big backing for me when I go, but actually, when it comes to D-Day.
0: Epic, man. I don't know why, but I personally always found I had more enjoyment working with animal charities than I did with, with other charities, although that being said, Habitat for Humanity also felt very, very special because you're there with like the family watching their house, like being built in front of them, kind of like the emotions that, you know, it's their first time ever owning a home and like, yeah, so that was also very touching, but like working with animals, um, I, I've done a bit of volunteering up at dog when I was in South Africa. Yeah. And that always just felt so, so fulfilled and so great after doing, I mean, in, in, i guess it's a selfish aspect of it like putting your time there and and getting something out of it but Mm. yeah just it's great i think it's such a good cause and just globally there's so many so many problems with like stray animals and and animals that have been like sort of left out there to fend for themselves that it's a good i think it's a great choice
1: yeah sure i think because i've obviously we've had animals around the house and my entire life growing up they've all been rescues and stuff as well Uh, I think that's obviously where my heart's at now, but I'm pretty sure. And also this is like the first charity fundraising attempt that I've done. So I think that was the easiest way to fall into, but I'm pretty sure like my best mate had a a daughter and I've seen how that's changed his perspective on life and everything. So like, I'm pretty sure, like I reckon when I have a kid, then it will be like, then charity direction will be like, okay, cool, let's help kids. <laughs> no, nah, you know what I mean? <laughs> I think it's just like, it's what's in my awareness and it's what like authentic for me right now.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it's like what's in your frame of mind and top of mind, exactly, yeah. yeah. Maybe just a couple more. Sham, I've already no, no. had you on here yeah, for an hour it. and a half. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, something I wanted to ask you about is you touched on a lot of the things that I, I was going to ask you already kind of without asking, which is great. Um, but what I want to find out from you is when the when the race is over, when everything's said and done, you finished. Like, have you thought about? Are you going to celebrate, or are you on to the next one? Are you planning something thereafter? Have you thought that far, or are you, are you trying to not think about that so that you can stay like keep your head in the game? Because you know, like in sports, for example, you'll often hear the, the the coach when he's interviewed after the game, like, "Have you thought about potentially winning the tournament or whatever?" And the guys like, "No, no, no we focus game at a time. Yeah, we only worry about that." So, is it that kind of a process, or have you? had Have you found yourself sort of subconsciously thinking about what you're gonna do um when you're done
1: that's a that's a very good question i think um th- it's ve- this is a very different experience for me running this one because when I ran for example like when I ran the first hundred mile one hundred and sixty k like I didn't tell a single soul until it was done, and then fifty k was also a similar thing, and then also thirty k like my mates knew that I was doing it, but I wasn't you know posting it or whatever um and i kind of I enjoy that way of going about a goal where I feel like all my energy is channeled into actually getting it done. And then you can kind of reap the rewards of like the whatever it is, like the serotonin or
0: dopamine. whatever. It,
1: yeah, dopamine. There we go. Thank you for like saying like oh, people saying well done or actually getting it done. So having to like announce that I'm doing this race was quite uh, nerve wracking for me, to be dead honest with you, because it's like, okay, now. And then everyone, like, you know, like I said, everyone's like, oh, sick. This is so epic. Well done. You're doing so well. Like, you know, cool. And you're kind of getting dopamine from that. And it's like, I was almost nervous. It's like, it's the same thing about like getting up early in the morning, going for a super hard run and then having the endorphins afterwards. Like you've put in the work and then you get the reward as opposed to like boozing on a Friday night. Like you get the reward and then the hangover is the work. You know yeah. what I mean? So I feel like putting this out there and stuff and everyone being like, cool, you're going to do well and everything. It's like, that was a bit nerve wracking for me. So I, yeah, I haven't really given it much thought about okay. what I'm going to be doing it afterwards. In terms of, yeah, any adventures yet. Like I just want to kind of make sure that I give absolutely everything to this and cross that finish line. The other thing that I have kind of thought of that I'm slightly, I guess, slightly nervous about is like the drop off that happens after a goal. Like with thirteen peaks, uh, I remember I finished it. cheap uh, was, I finished like twelve at night or so, and then and we went home, kept, and then woke up the next morning, and I remember just waking up and feeling like I fell into a black hole. Mm. For the month, building after it, it was like that was it. That was all I did. I didn't, you know, party or anything like that. Like I just was training for that. And then you get it, and then it's like, okay, cool, what now? You know mm. what I mean? So from that point of view, I have been kind of thinking of what I want to do after the race, just kind of like make it a smoother landing almost. Um, I can't remember which writer it was, but oh, yeah, I'll, I'll butcher the order's name. But I remember he got interviewed and stuff because he wrote like, I don't know, something I'll just like 60 books in his lifetime or 100 books in his lifetime. And he got asked, how did you write so many books? And he said when he was finishing the last two chapters of a book that he was on, he would start the first two chapters of another book. So you kind of like bridge that gap. So it wouldn't be like finishing and then starting. And that allowed him to kind of like keep a smoother process. So that's something that has definitely been in my awareness of what can I kind of start now that's going to catch that sort of drop off after, you know, after the 18th of third.
0: Yeah, very important, hey, because I can't remember which astronauts, that same thing happened to them. They obviously, they, I think it was the first, the guys that went to the moon first. I think it was them. They, what is that, Apollo 11? I don't know. Um, (laughs) but they went up there and apparently they hadn't prepared themselves for the fact that this is like the first in history and like how big of an event it was, like building your whole life up to that point, getting to the moon and coming back and then being like, oh shit, what now? (laughs) And apparently it was, apparently it was hectic for them because obviously that's like a (laughs) huge experience. Um, but yeah, it's, it's important on one hand, obviously to to stay present in the moment, to enjoy the moment, to enjoy Mm -hmm. the process of getting there and doing that. Then also to maybe not allow it to become your identity and to be yeah. the only thing that that you sort of have your hands wrapped around. Because otherwise, yeah, you have that problem of that drop off, which is it's yeah. not great.
1: No, exactly that. I think well, I've been watching a lot of uh, Chris Bumstead videos as well. Um, he's just dang uh, the guy. It's real. Love it, eh? um and he talks about obviously like now nah, when he won Mr. Olympia again he he struggled to stay in the moment mm. initially because obviously he has torn bicep and stuff and he just he was worried about that and then his coach came and said like you know just be here and he was able to like center to himself and then obviously have fun and he's like you know you've worked so hard for this like you know be in the moment think. and that's something that I've been like practicing a lot now as well like with every sort of training session and stuff like that you know if I have a tough training session or a good one it's like you know sick this is all like just be here now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, don't kind of be so wrapped up in in one single goal and point that you're missing out on, on the everyday right now.
0: Yeah. It's important to, like, I, there's always that conflict, I guess, you know, you have to have the goal because the goal obviously sets the path for where you need to go. But then it's so important to just in, to to enjoy the steps along the way, because as you said, you know, you can get so wrapped up in that final product that you forget about the now and then the final product comes and goes and that then you're like oh no i'm 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 a bit lost so you've got to have both you've got to have the the end goal yeah. in mind and, but you've also got to have the you've got to enjoy the process because the process is almost even more important because that's where you spend most of the time yeah <laughs> the end goal is like just a day or two and it whereas like the training takes months <laughs> yeah exactly talking about chris bramstead i wonder often wonder yeah. with people like that who are winners and like serial winners is it, is it even harder for someone like that? Because, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like you're getting yourself up for the first, the first time. It's almost even more natural because it's something you're shooting for. You haven't got it before. And when you get it, then maybe the second time I can imagine also being quite easy, relatively speaking, because you're like, I want to defend my title. It's mine. Like, it belongs to me. Yeah. And I wonder after like yeah, three, exactly. four, five. I mean, how many does he have now? Is it four or five? He's got f- four. Four. I wonder if it gets progressively harder because it's not like you're winning anything new. You know what I mean? Like you're doing, yes, it's great because you missed Olympia, but like you've been missed Olympia four times. So he's number five. Yeah, like exactly. what is the difference between five, six? You know what I mean? It's, it's it's a very interesting psychological, it's a different psychological process, 100% than it is winning the first one. I think it's almost more difficult to get yourself up for the fourth and the fifth one.
1: Yeah, exactly. Cause it's, yeah, you you can kind of become cozy with it. I mean, it's that thing of, I mean, it's also like, I mean, guess referencing yeah. Conor McGregor, like he was such an insane fighter the start because he was so hungry. And then to someone says like, it's hard to train. It's hard to get up at four in the morning to train in the rain when you wake up and soak sheets. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you kind of get used to it and stuff. But I mean, to be fair, listening to Bumstead's um, interview when he won, no, he kind of said, I think like the first thing he said, he's like, yeah, there's a lot of improvements to make for next year. And I can't wait. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you've done it like perfectly. Like, how can you dial in more? It's yeah. insane. So that kind of, yeah, that hunger is just, I can appreciate it a lot, but I can also see how consuming it can be as well. Yeah,
0: it's it's something that Goggins also talks about a lot in his book, That Can't Hurt Me book. He, you know, like, yeah. you have to have the dog mindset. Like, he always mm-hmm. talks about that dog mindset. You don't, you don't see a dog being chilled with not being fed for the day. He's always hungry. Like, he always needs more food. And he's like, you have to feed the dog. And like, he always talks about it in those terms, yeah. you know, like, you have to... Be able to get yourself into that frame of mind, it's one thing telling people you need to be hungry. It's another thing coaching that or developing that in somebody building that up. I just find it yeah. it's it's a it's a hard thing to do, and I think the best way to do it is to do something like you're doing where you're setting something that's difficult and then pursuing it um it like forces you to 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 do that to, yeah, to maintain sure. hunger. Yeah, it's it's difficult once you get to the top. Like he often talks about the NFL players like that because I think he goes and does like motivational speeches and stuff. And the one the one famous story he says, you know, the guy came up to him and asked him like, "How do you how do you stay hungry? Like I've achieved everything that I wanted to." And Goggins was kind of like, "Well, you need to find ways." I think for him, he, he'd he'd become he'd made like the all star team or whatever in football. He's like, "Well, now you need mm-hmm. to aim to be the MVP of the game, and if you become MVP, then." You know, you need to find something else to then push you on. Yeah, but I think it's it's difficult. Yeah,
1: I, I feel like that kind of only, I mean, you can kind of teach yourself that. It's, it's tough to instill that kind of drive in someone else and actually like pull it out of them. I think that they can only be inspired to see it. That was like, also what you say in terms of setting a goal and, and striving towards it. Uh, I heard this ages ago and it kind of said like, it's almost like kind of how people live life and stuff like that or how life kind of unfolds. It's almost like your future self puts people and things in front of you that attract you that thing draws you towards that person. Um, and I found that with my coach as well, uh, because he's so dedicated and so hectic and so hot. Like, you know, if if he's having a goal, he's going to run after. It. There's literally nothing that's going to get in the next way. That's something that definitely appealed to me. And it's something that I want to be able to do in the future. I think there's certain things that I can learn from him and certain things that I might sort of stay away from. Like, I know he he quotes Kobe all the time, where Kobe says, like, I was a really good basketball player, but I wasn't a good husband or a good dad. And my coach has said that a few times, like if he's if he's in like a training block or a race or something like that and you like have your funeral or something, it's like, he's like, move your funeral. You know what I mean? Someone going to be running. And bef- but before I met him, I was a lot. How do I say it? Yeah, yeah, I wasn't really set in anything. And I wasn't really like driven towards that much of a goal. So I think meeting him and stuff and having that alert being like, you know, this is someone who's been put in my path for a reason and someone I can definitely learn from and grow towards and take the lessons out of that. I feel fit to me. You know what I mean? I'm not necessarily going to, a Mate's funeral. If I'm training for a training block, you know what I mean. But like, there's a lot that there's a lot of him that I can learn from, a lot that I can grow towards, a lot that I can sort of mimic in his in his activities and his mindset towards life that I am very attracted to and very willing to obviously you know adopt.
0: I wonder in that situation, like the whole dead mate thing, you know, I can I can understand that because on one hand, you know, you're there to support the family and all those kinds of things, and on the other hand, you think of yourself well you can say, well, I want to do it, actually train harder mm. for him and make it about him or her, whoever it may be. So, yeah, it's, it's it's all about perspective. It's different people will take that. You know, some people think that's like completely cruel and, and horrible and stuff. And, but I can see both sides of the coin, like why you would choose not to do it yeah. and why you choose to go. Yeah. No, for sure. You already said you, you see yourself maybe doing one or yeah. two of these a year. Have you, have you planned on what that... Next one might be for this year coming, or I mean, I guess we already spoke about not knowing what you want to do, or have you again not thought that far down the line?
1: No, I, I, that's a very good question, I must say. Um, I've been toying with the fact of doing a different discipline as well because there's a book that I read uh towards the end of last year by Michael Easter, it's called The Comfort Crisis. Very, very okay. good book, and I kind of it's it's the way he writes as well, super easy and stuff, um, to follow along and see. And yeah, you can just punch that book very quickly, and I draw a lot from it um and he talks in in the book there's a thing called a misogi uh which was like ancient i think it's ancient japanese used to do it and basically what a misogi is is it's an extremely difficult task to you that you should undertake once a year uh completely for yourself so not for anyone else to know about not to like get the reward of you know posting on instagram and getting a couple of likes or like you know people saying well done or anything like it's completely to yourself you you don't tell anyone about it uh and it's a A position that you put yourself in to challenge yourself and the two there's two rules for the masogi is one you have to have at least a 50 percent chance of failing the task and number two is just so you don't die so like you know i mean don't make the task like holding your breath for 30 minutes like that's silly um yeah and then he talks like he gives some examples and stuff like that and there were there was one nba player who had the most who had the record for the most consecutive three points And when they asked him about it, he related that to a masogi that he did, where he had never done stand-up paddling or something before. And then he ended up standing up, stand-up paddling like across the channels, something outrageous, like 30 kilometers or something. Um, And it took him ages. And he literally, he just had to put his head down and just say like, just one stroke, just one more stroke, one more stroke. And then he used that for like his three points. And then there was another guy who had took a 20 kilo rock and moved it eight kilometers underwater. So he would take a breath, go down, move it like 20 meters, go up, take a breath, move it 20 meters. And you know what I mean? Something like that. So Jeez, yeah. the next thing I would ideally want to do is just to, because running is so high impact on your knees and your joints and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, it's um, compared to like walking or, you know, anything from that point of view. And there's a thing that actually my coach has started now called rucking. So it's basically just putting weight on your back and going for a hike. And the cool thing about rocking is that it's like lower impact for all your joints and stuff. So but it also there's a cardio aspect to it of, you know, you're hiking super far. There's also a very big strength aspect to it of you loading yourself with your weights. And the nice thing about it is that it kind of it evens the playing field in terms of handicaps. So like I could go with my mom and I could put a 20 kg on my back and she could have nothing and we'll both be equally toast by the end of the walk or the hike. You know what I mean? So some of that does allure me. And also, like I say, kind of changing up the discipline. So maybe doing like a long swim. Or a long paddle, or like a really intensive like hike, or carrying a rock somewhere, I still haven't thought exactly what the task is going to be just yet, but okay. I know that I mean I'll still run and stuff. I'm not gonna I don't think I'll do another big ultra this year, potentially. I mean, I say that now and then you know my kids at some point, but um, <laughs> but I think in order to like I can say I a like callous of mind, you know you want to do something. That like my body knows how to run, you know what I mean. Even though this is a super long distance and I haven't done this particular distance before or in this heat, I think it would be good for me to change something up and something that I'm relatively new at, and you know, kind of just put the hammer down or something that my body's not used to.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. I think I did a run last year. I started off slowly. I, I mean, it sounds pathetic now that you're talking about 207k. <laughs> I, I did, I did a, I did my first. Maybe a bit of a backstory, maybe, because I don't think you would know this. Like I had a repeat knee injury, ACL injury on my right knee from my 20s. So I had it re- re-operated on 2021. 20, and then so kind of came back to full speed last year. Yeah. And I decided, look, I haven't done much cardio work as a result because of my bogey knee. So I thought the goal was actually to run a marathon in the end was to run a, a full marathon. Yeah. But I started a small. I, I, so I did my first 5K when it was at la- end of, just at the end of last year. The reason being, I chose like an exercise that I don't like doing. I, d- I don't particularly like running, especially long distances. Yeah. So yeah. I, I chose that. The next thing would be swimming. I guess I hate swimming more than I hate running. But swimming out here, it's a little bit more tricky. You don't have access to as many pools and things like that. Okay. Um, so that's something that I'm looking into doing. I just think it's, it's interesting that you you've mentioned doing something difficult because I think it's such a great thing for people to do. Like I wish more people would do difficult things. You don't have to do it all the time, but like, you know, from time to time, put something difficult in front of you and see if you can do it. It's, I think it's so good for, for your mind. And I think as you knock them over, like it's almost like a domino effect. As you knock one over, you start to see the other ones falling over in front of you as well. I know a lot of people aren't a, aren't a massive fan of Joe Rogan, but he often speaks about, there's obviously those that love Joe Rogan, those that yeah. hate Joe Rogan, but he often speaks about that kind of thing as well. You know, like do the hard things. Um, and by doing hard things, it just, it makes everything else easy.
1: A hundred percent. And I think with those masogis and stuff, like you saying, obviously you're training up for marathon. I don't know if you ran it or not. Did you say that? No,
0: so unfortunately, so I ran the 5k no. and I had quite a lot of knee pain. Yeah. At the end of the rain, rain? Run. <laughs> so I went to, to the doctor. I'm actually scheduled to go and just have a checkup with a specialist in FEB. It's definitely not the ACL, uh, yeah. 100%, because I know what that feels like. It's on the inside of my knee. Okay. I'm not too well-versed with the, like, the anatomy of the knee, so I, I can't oh, okay. say exactly what it is, and I haven't gone for a scan yet, but yeah. it, it almost feels like cartilage. Before I go and uh, pursue the marathon, because it's winter here, so I'm lucky that I can take my foot off the gas and just let the cold months pass and then start training again. But before I start training again, I want to go and get the knee checked out. Because if it's some, if he says to me, look, I don't think you should, I don't advise that you do running, then I need to change the goal and do something that's that's low impact, maybe like a bike ride or a swimming, uh, endurance swimming event or something that like, yeah. So I need to, I need to sort out or figure out what's wrong with my knee first. And then if it's okay, if he clears me to run, then marathon is scheduled to be like sort of maybe towards the end of this year in the springtime. Oh, sorry, the autumn time, autumn time. Yeah. that's because Your spring.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, because I was just thinking like everyone's and everyone's like difficulty task will be different. You know what I mean? Like for me to run 100K is probably the same as some – like American to get off the couch. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) like everyone's levels are going to be different. So the fact that you like, you know what I mean? You're running a five a 5k at least like at least Nipan, like don't let that guy, uh, don't let that, like definitely get that sorted out, but you can obviously shift up the goal and just as long as it's something that's going to be super difficult. I think, yeah, like you said, like Joe Rogan says, and also what the guy says in this book, what Michael Easter says in comfort crisis. And this is also true with like Buddhism and stuff like that. Is I think Buddhism says there's like 67 problems in life and you can make it 68 by worrying about it or you can accept a 67. And then there's mm. also like the hedonic treadmill where like you get used to something and then obviously like you get used to a certain comfort and then not having that comfort is more uncomfortable than yeah. having the next yeah. comfort is comfortable, if that makes sense. So yeah, with like cold showers and all this stuff, it's kind of, it's leveling the playing field of almost of that like you're doing treadmill and stuff and allowing you to still be grateful and everything for what you have because yeah there was a time not too long ago where the guy who had a teepee was yeah. you know king of the tribe and now you know that's you know yeah. quote-unquote a homeless person type thing so yeah there are all these creature comforts and stuff that are cool but there that you know a comfort creep comes in and then you kind of you don't necessarily know that's i kind of feel like we need yeah challenges almost to be able to dive in but having said this and this is what my girlfriend has been super helpful with teaching me is like all these things that i learn and stuff and then i get so excited because i'm like oh fuck this is definitely the way oh excuse my french um but you know i'm like this is this is it and then i go to her and then she says cool that's like fine but you must understand that you're also a male you know what i mean so like some things are different for for females in terms of uh, even just biologically how their body works and, and all that stuff so yeah i kind of i get so excited like i found the <laughs> bloody pot of gold in the rainbow and then i also realize like you know there are certain things that work for people and certain things that work for other people like we said earlier with regards to learning and experience and yeah you know listening to certain people like you know everyone's gonna be different and this is like what yeah. works for me and kind of what lights you up well at least what lights me up and it's kind of like you know whatever's authentic to you and actually gets you super excited to wake up in the morning and and pursue that's realistically where you should be Targeting most of your energy, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, because if it's authentic and stuff, it's it's not going to feel like work to you. It's going to feel like play, and um, 100%. yeah, that's a very that's a very fun place. There's, there's a guy that I learned that from is uh, gaku Naval Ravi Kant. Oh, the, yeah, he's insane, eh, dude. dude. like his his. um I'm not sure it if it's
0: though. I'm not sure if it's still available, but I'm I think I got his ebook for free. There was a time when it was free on on his website. I'm not sure if it still yeah. is there was literally a, a couple of months where I must have recommended people to read that book more like more than any book ever in history. that I, I recommend books to people all the time because I read a lot. And yeah. it's so funny because literally every time someone said something, I'd be like, you need to read N- Naval's book. Because like everything, <laughs> like literally some everything that someone has said or brought up, I could link it back to one of the things that he said. It's, it, like, yeah. yeah, he's insane, dude. He's- insane.
1: He is nuts, really. Yeah. So he's exactly that. He says, like, find something that feels like play to you, but would yeah. be work to other people.
0: Play long-term games with long-term people, as well. There we
1: go. Dude. Oh yeah. God, I love it. I love it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's fascinating. His approach is very much. I like that he also views everything as there's no zero-sum games. Well, there are zero-sum yeah. games, but those are often like status games. So don't play those kind of games. Yes, play. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Play the games that like are net net positive for everyone. It's awesome
1: beautiful i'm so stoked you dig him as well
0: absolutely love him like i think his episode in rogan i think i've listened to that like yeah maybe maybe like 30 times it's actually even ridiculous exactly
1: exactly when he talks about like (laughs) meditating and stuff and just checking the emails yeah that's like that's literally exactly what i feel like i do on my runs um at least the initial part is literally just clearing out the inbox and stuff and then obviously when it gets painful then that then i allow that pain whatever to like draw me into the And then just be like present with it and stuff. So it's like, it's so it's, oh, it's
0: just epic. I love that. That's exactly how I feel when I, when I do weightlifting. Cause I train, I train in a very specific way. I kind of, I try and go quite heavy. Once I'm warmed up, I try and go quite heavy in, at the front of my sets. Cause that's when I got obviously the most energy and can put yeah. output the most like warming up and stuff. It's weird. That's for me. I almost, I don't know where the time goes. It's very much like a, a flow state. And then when I hit the the more difficult reps, then I then I have to be present, otherwise something might yeah. go wrong, you know? So it's yeah, it's very it's very interesting how like you experience that with running, I experienced that with, with weightlifting. And I think obviously people must experience that with all kinds of activities that are that are strenuous, yeah. you know. Um, you get to clear the mind in certain in like lower intensity forms of it, and then as the intensity ramps up, you like it pulls you into the present. It's very interesting.
1: Yeah. Well that's exactly what we were saying now, in terms of like everyone having their own channel you know what i mean yeah. or their own thing that like is authentic to them so like weightlifting for you and then running for me and then obviously like organ says you like maybe you'll start running to callous your mind and i'll start weightlifting more to callous mind you know what i mean yeah. so yeah that's so epic bro. i love that
0: you said something earlier i, I th- oh i wrote it down there's conflicting studies and i can't seem to work out which one is right or wrong because I, I don't think they can both be same i mean both be right at the same time so the one study showed that by publicizing your goals to everyone it will hold you accountable and you're more likely to achieve your goals then there's another study that showed by publicizing your goals people as you as you've experienced people start saying like oh that's so great so you start getting the rewards before the goal is met and then as a result you don't hit the goal because you already get from it what You're aiming to get by achieving it. So, yeah, it's 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 fascinating that you that you brought that up because yeah, like I've just I've heard varying or or conflicting information on which is better to keep it a secret or to tell people. And maybe probably a case of again going back to individuality. Like, if you're the kind of individual that feels more drive from social pressure, then you're probably going to hit the goal. If you're someone who gets more drive or is looking for the dopamine kick you're probably going to take that as the win and then sort of not really care about the goal. I guess it'll we'll probably boil down to individuals.
1: That's a very good point. I also wonder if it's different between like, I mean, the only two examples I can think of now in terms of like a, a single goal that comes up and then you, you're done afterwards or like a goal for the rest of your life, quote unquote, to be like, so the run, if I say, cool, I'm going to be doing a big run, you know, and then you get the dopamine and stuff like that. So then it's, You're not as effective on the day. Whereas, for example, if I say like, I'm going to quit smoking, and you mm. put that out to everyone. And then because that's an endless goal, technically, because you're saying you're quitting smoking, then people would like, you know, if I miss a run on a day or whatever, people aren't like, okay, cool. You know, but he's run every other day. But like if someone smokes a cigarette, everyone would be like, did you say you quit? You know what I mean? And yeah. that's that's like an endless goal almost. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, like what's worked for me in the past is obviously just getting it done first. Like, you know, that like grafting in silence and, you know, putting the work and stuff. Because I have also felt that way. you kind of, obviously... Like Conor McGregor and stuff, like he speaks all the stuff into existence in terms of like manifesting and everything. But yeah, I found for me, like to achieve a goal and stuff like that, sometimes if I speak about it, then it is almost, it almost becomes like an energy leak. You know what I mean? It's like that's energy and stuff that he could be turning into it.
0: Yeah. I think perhaps it's, perhaps it it depends on the goal. I think you might be right because I found that with with my personal experience with the podcast, I found that I was keeping it a secret for a very long time that I wanted to do it. Cause I was almost mm-hmm. a bit like fearful of what people would say about starting one and how it would sound and all that kind of stuff. And then I kind of, I just put it off and I put it off and I put it off. And then one day I was like, you know what? I'm going to start just telling like a handful of people that are close to me that I'm going to start a podcast regardless of what they say, just so that they can be like, Oh, by the way, how's the podcast coming along? Um, yes, and so I told a few. Yeah, I Told a few people, and that worked because that lit a fire under my ass. And I, I then I was like, should I actually have to do something? Because I've told people I'm going to do something. So maybe it depends on the on the goal that you set for yourself. I think we can we can wrap up here. I would love to you to just let everyone know where can they find your information about your run, about the charity. How can they support you? End on a on a on a high note with with hopefully you getting some support from the community.
1: That would be huge, bro. Thank you so much. I think, yeah, for the run specifically, the I've got an Instagram page up called Distance Four Dogs. So it's Distance, the numeral four, and then dogs. Um, and you can find pretty much all the information on there. There's links in the bio to both the Tanker Crossing, which is the race I'll be doing, as well as Imzalanda Animal Clinic and their Instagram page. Uh, there's also the donation link up there, and then also it's just like I just try to make the page entertaining, to be honest with you. So like, there's a whole lot of <laughs> there's a whole lot of silly stuff in there. So if you're bored, you can just go and have a dig um nice. but yeah no it's uh yeah any kind of support is obviously massively massively appreciated obviously all the proceeds and stuff are going to be going terms and under um because they are the ones yeah they're doing incredible work and this is what this is a three month journey for me whereas for them that's a day in and day out journey so you know there's yeah it's um it's incredibly inspiring to see those people wake up every single day to go help the dogs and, and help the animals and stuff and you know just um like I said, it's extremely motivating for me. So hopefully, you know, if people are able to help out, they'll, they'll go a massive way.
0: Awesome. That's great. And just to confirm, can you give me the date of the run? Just that people kind of have a, a reference.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. So uh, it's the, the 16th of February. Um, the okay. race starts at three in the afternoon. Um, and then it's yeah, 50 hours of, of okay. well, 50 hour cutoff at least. Um, but yeah, I'm also going to be running a competition and stuff. Okay. Like a running package type thing um that people can buy and so every 50 rand put into the uh through the back of buddy link every 50 rand put in is one ticket uh into the raffle and then it's like a ultra running package so like my coach has put up a month of running of training uh there's a sports massage therapist here has put up two 60 hour sessions oh sorry 60 minute sessions um and then first uh, first the center put up a whole lot of running kits and then also Chomus have put up like a leash and some stuff for your doggo so nice it's a really cool hamper um yeah, to try and like, and also, yeah, you're also obviously supporting the cause as well. So it's a nice little awesome, double man. for the boys.
0: And I would love to chat to you after the, the race, get you, maybe get you back on at some point and you can talk about your experiences, how it went and sort of uh, see where your headspace is at and, and what, what you got lined up when you kind of have a little bit more time to to think about what the next step is.
1: Yeah, 100%. I'd absolutely love that. We can definitely set that up. It'll be cool to... Be able to talk about yeah. everything that I went through on the race because it's gonna be it's, <laughs> it's definitely gonna be an experience. I know that for sure.
0: Cool man. Thanks. Is there anything <laughs> that I left out or anything that you'd like to add or before you wrap?
1: Um not really, dude. It's a nice thing to wake up in the morning for, so I can't wait for the next one.
0: Oh yeah, thank you. Um thank you for getting up early. I am I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm sure you probably get up early anyway, because I think you're kind of living that lifestyle at the moment. But yeah, yeah. thank you for giving up your time. Very, very appreciative of that because i know like the time difference and everything like that can make things a bit chaotic
1: yeah no it's all good but definitely like i said super looking forward to the next one it's going to be a lot of fun yeah hopefully i can bring some more (laughs) some some new stories to the to the forefront but yeah definitely going to be watching the rest of the rest of the like you know podcasts and stuff that come out from you because it's been thoroughly enjoyable getting to know you dude uh,
0: thank you so much man yeah awesome man and i think I think it's always wonderful to to speak to people that I like because I've had people on that I know and then bringing on people that I don't know is always to me always mm. more challenging for me because I don't really know what the person's interests are what they like talking about what they don't like talking about so it it's also gives as a as a sort of a selfish plus for me it, it gives yeah. me a chance to to get better at this and so thank you for giving, affording me the opportunity to like <laughs> develop and grow. It's awesome. Like I
1: said, it's super lekker.
0: Cool, man. As we come to the end of this episode of Speaking to Stacey, I want to say a big thank you for listening all the way through. I hope that you found value in Ryan's insights into endurance events. And I urge you to visit his Instagram page. That's distance for dogs. D-I-S-T-A-N-C-E the number four dogs d o g s that way you can keep up with his training and also find links to the charity he's raising money for that's Mzananda Animal Clinic before you go i have one last favor to ask please remember to subscribe to speaking to stacy that way you'll never miss new episodes and if you enjoyed this conversation please leave a rating and review it helps others to find the show the more the show grows the easier it is for me to attract guests to bring you beneficial content. It was great having you with us today and I look forward to sharing this experience with you again in the next episode. Until then, keep well.